0: We, as in like society, does a terrible job at supporting women in those childbearing years. So, you know, pregnancy, maternity leave, and even afterwards, and too many women feel like they have to make a choice. Like, am I going to be there for my family or am I going to focus on my career? I'm a believer you can do both with some intention and some boundaries, but a lot of us receive messages that you can't. And I mean, there's just also, there's biases, there's things we have to overcome. So there has to be some fixing of the system. But where I come in is I say, okay, this is where we are today. So how can we navigate what we're facing today and see success?
1: Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Justin Timberlake, James Carville. Wait a minute. Where are the women? Greta Gerwig, Lisa Ling, Audra McDonald, Simone Files. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. They all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that now, do you? You know what else you don't hear about? Are the 43% of people with ADHD who are in excellent mental health. Why aren't we talking about them and what they're doing right? I'm your host Tracy Atsuka, and that's exactly what we do here. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, and now the author of my new book ADHD for Smart Ass Women. I'm also a certified ADHD coach and the creator of Your ADHD Brain Is AOK a patented system that helps ADHD women just like you get unstuck and fall in love with their brilliant brains. Here, we embrace our too-muchness and we focus on our strengths. My guests and I credit our ADHD for some of our greatest gifts. And to those who still think they're too much, too impulsive, too scattered, too disorganized, I say no one ever made a difference by being too little. Hello, friends. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for ADHD for Smartass Women. If you would like to meet in real life, well, I would love to meet you in real life. I will be in Pasadena, Los Angeles, and San Diego for book events this weekend. Actually, they're starting on Thursday, February 8th. Now, we record these podcasts sometimes well in advance, so. I'm not 100% sure there will still be tickets by the time this airs, but it's worth a shot because I don't know about you, but the best, most life-changing things for me have always been those last-minute decisions that I make that are totally out of my comfort zone, but I do it anyway. And I always figure, look, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, right? So go to ADHD for smartwomen.com forward slash happy women Dinners for more information. Now, on to the podcast. You know my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And then the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. So, of course, I am delighted to introduce you today to Katie McPhee. Katie is an entrepreneur and former executive With ADHD, of course, she's passionate about empowering women and helping more women break into senior leadership and thrive as leaders without burning out. Katie spent the bulk of her career undiagnosed and struggled for years until she learned how to work around her ADHD symptoms and thrive as a tech executive. After 18 years, she left her corporate career and founded Insights to Action, which is on a mission to help close the gender gap in senior leadership. Katie discovered through her entrepreneurship journey and ADHD diagnoses that we can all thrive as our authentic selves once we are ready to accept ourselves for who we are. Novel concept, go figure. She's also the mom of three boys and loves being active outdoors, which makes her happy and helps manage her ADHD. Katie, welcome. And did I get all of that right? That is perfect. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you. So as you know, because I know you listen to this podcast, can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? What were the circumstances?:
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned, I, I went the bulk of my life being undiagnosed. I was only diagnosed within the last year. Mm-hmm. I suspected for a while that I may have ADHD, and I joked about it a little bit. There were a few things that happened that really big pivotal moments. So one of them seemingly was benign, but I had a girl coming over to my house to do my hair during the pandemic. And she had previously been in social work, and we were talking about all kinds of things in life. And I mentioned in passing, yeah, I probably have some ADHD. And we went on to have a conversation. And as she was leaving, she said, by the way, Katie, you 100% have ADHD, which shocked me at the time. I was like, really? I do? And then, you know, over time, I really started to suspect maybe I do. I discovered your podcast which is full circle why, why I was so excited to be here. Um, and I started listening to it and realized how much this resonated with me because I had previously thought, well, I can't have ADHD. I'm so successful. You know, I've been able to figure out my life, sort of. <laughs> and then listening to your podcast really was so eye-opening for me. And then I also listened to the Goldigger podcast, and I heard you on that podcast. And after that, I was like, okay. I need to look into this seriously because I really suspect that I do have ADHD. So yeah, I went and I mean, and saw-
1: if Jenna Kutcher yeah. has ADHD, then I guess I
0: could too, right? <laughs> right, I'm like, this girl's doing some good things, yeah. right? And a lot. So just recognizing that I think was, because we all had that picture in our mind that ADHD is a nine-year-old boy who's throwing his pencil across the class. <laughs> and so I never suspected that it was me until I really started to investigate. And then sure enough, got a diagnosis, and here we are. So what were your symptoms? What were the things that you were struggling with as an adult? Tracy, I have all the symptoms. (laughs) So when I was diagnosed, as you know, there's inattentive and hyperactive. I meet almost all the criteria for both. Mm -hmm. So there was all the symptoms in terms of Lack of organization, forgetting things, lack of attention to detail, hyperactivity, absolutely, which is kind of funny because I remember thinking, well, I can't have ADHD. I'm not hyperactive. I am so hyperactive. I'm, I'm a hyper person. I have trouble sitting still. I don't like downtime. So there was a lot of things, you know, I think one of the key elements was that I didn't recognize them all as ADHD symptoms. I thought they were my own personal quirks. So exactly. So I'm
1: curious, was it the drivenness as a form of hyperactivity that really got to you?
0: Because that was the one for me. For sure. For sure. And I've heard you talk about the ADHD brain of interest. As I was going through school and I got further and further up, like in university, I did better. Right. So I struggled in first year university. It took me six years to get my four year degree. I switched programs three times. But by the time I got to year four, I was on the dean's list.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So yes, there is there's the hyperactivity drivenness. Absolutely. And then also, when I do find the right thing, I can really sink my teeth into it. Did you struggle at all with the, um,
1: I, I think this is what most people think is ADHD, right? Is, you know, the messy house, not being able to get places on time, the messy car kind of, or are you kind of more like me, although I can never get any place on time, but I feel like mess and clutter is visual pollution. And so then it messes with my brain and I can't focus and do what I need to do until I clean it all up. Procrastinating. cleaning
0: Yes. So it's so funny because as a child and a teenager, I was very disorganized, very <laughs> messy. I think my natural way of being is that late for everything. One of my girlfriends says she remembers me. We met in university because I would walk in late every single class with a big coffee and sit in the back. She's like, that's how I remember you. And at the time, I was like mortified because I really, I have struggled with lateness my whole life and and it carried a lot of shame around that. But as an adult, I've realized intellect overcomes preference. I can choose. So I've gone kind of the opposite way where when it comes to, and same as you, clutter, I like things to be very clean, like very tidy, or it overwhelms my brain. And this was probably happening as a teenager, but I just didn't get it right? So I was probably experiencing that same feeling. But now as an adult, I have more self-awareness. And so I know that that's something that's important.
1: Well, and part of it too, is we're responsible for a lot less when we're teenagers and kids, right? So Mm -hmm. who cares if it's a big mess? But then when you're responsible for all kinds of things, I can't get to the other things if I have to get through the mess. You know, My mother would ultimately have come in and... Like she wouldn't just say, organize your drawers. She knew better. She would literally take my drawers, pull them out and turn all the stuff upside down and make me start over. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that is so cruel, but it was such a
0: mess that it was really the only way to do it. Yeah. I feel that way about my kids now. (laughs) (laughs) I got to pull your mom's trick. So thank you for that. Yeah.
1: You know, because we have ADHD brains, we now kind of get that, oh my gosh, who cares? Just shut the door. (laughs) Which is what I employed with my son because, you know, other than the like old food that was in there where that was like, I'm sorry, you need to get that out and get that in the garbage can because we're going to have rats and roaches. We don't get roaches out here in California, but we're going to have rats. Actually, that's not true. In our part of California, we don't have roaches. I remember when I was in college, I lived in an apartment and yeah, we'd turn on the lights at night and all the roaches would come running towards you. It was so disgusting. But anyway, enough about me. So I want to know, what was Katie like as a child?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I was absolutely the kid, you know, Katie's a lovely student, but talks way too much in class. So I was definitely that kid, like I said, dragged myself out of bed in the morning, late for everything. As I got a little bit older, engaged in a lot of, I think, like dopamine-seeking behaviors. So I was very impulsive. I like, skipped school a lot. I partied a lot. I had a bit of a shopping problem. So a lot of these, in retrospect, dopamine-seeking at the time, I just thought I was really fun. Um, <laughs> but I was definitely one of those people, like, I took a little more risk than the average person. In school, I really excelled in the subjects I liked, which for me was math and science. Oh, And I really struggled in the things I didn't, which would be like geography, history, that kind of thing. So it was funny because I remember I, I really wasn't doing well I was skipping class. I wasn't doing very well. And my teacher came to me and said, I think you should go into enriched science. Mm -hmm. This teacher was amazing, by the way. She was one of those people who like saw your real potential. I'll never forget her. Miss Stewart. She's lovely. And I did. And that was the best thing for me, right? Because I was able to really focus my attention and my interest on that. You weren't bored. So
1: how did your parents respond to this
0: crazy Katie? Yeah. I, everyone kind of just laughed at me. Like everyone was just like, Oh, Katie, you know, there she goes again. So there was a lot of, of that in my life from my parents, from my brothers, you know, my parents certainly were disappointed with some of my behavior, right. With, with school, they, so there was, there was some of that as well, but yeah, you know, I was always just that kid. I was like a bit lost after I finished high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do, which is why it took me so long, I think, to finish university. And like, I'm not sure they had really high hopes for, <laughs> for my career. They knew I was smart. Yeah. Um, but I was a little bit lost in that sense. You know, I, I started at university. I dropped out at Christmas the first time and said, University's not for me. I'm going to waitress two jobs. Oh, geez. And then after spending nine months working two different, I think it was a waitressing and a bartending job. I'm like, maybe university is for me. (laughs) Isn't that so true? You go do those things. It's like, uh, no, (laughs) this wasn't so bad after all. It's okay as a summer job, but I don't think I want (laughs) it for my, you know, the rest of my life. So it's hard. Yeah. It just took me a little while to kind of find my path. You know, what's interesting though, is when I'm hearing you talk, it doesn't
1: sound like certainly from your parents and your family that there was a whole lot of shame. It was more just, oh, Katie's going to be Katie, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like there
0: was trauma there. Or was there? It's, it's interesting because one of the key things that my diagnosis has released me of is the shame. Mm-hmm. And I'm, there was no intentional shame, absolutely. However, I, I definitely internalized the feeling that there was something wrong with me, right? Because I couldn't seem to get to things on time. You know, I couldn't seem to do what seemed to be pretty basic tasks for other people. But for me, they felt so overwhelming. And and this is well into adulthood. I would say even more so once I became a mother. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because I think the number of those tasks increase like every year, I would forget teacher gifts until like the day before I needed teacher gifts. And I'd be like, oh, no, I need like 12 teacher gifts. I don't have any. I need to scramble and go to the store. And I would beat myself up. And I was like, what is wrong with you? You know, why can't you get your shit together? (laughs) And so there was a lot of, you know, internalizing of that because I looked at the people around me who all seemed to have like a handmade craft, <laughs> like <laughs> have it all planned out in advance. And I just felt like I was always kind of scrambling. Another example is like I joined, I was in, on a senior leadership team. The first senior leadership team that I was a part of, we had a Friday morning meeting. It was at 830. Mm. And I just could not make it to this meeting on time. And it was so embarrassing to me. Because here I was like only woman to brand more, most junior person on the team and walking in like five minutes late every single week and everyone's sitting there waiting for me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst human. So yeah, I did, I did have a lot of that, I would say. And, and again, it's, I think it was like a little bit from teachers, a little bit from parents, and I really, I really internalized that and, and carried that with me for a long, long time. So it sounded like
1: you had the same progression I had as far as you went from high school to college and that first year was bad. But were you away for college
0: or were you still living at home? First year at home, second year away but the first year I was at home. So when I decided to, to drop out, I was living with my parents.
1: Okay. So then what happened after that? You then decided, okay, you did the waitressing for, did you say eight months? Yeah. And I'd always been
0: doing it on the side, but I did it full time, two jobs for eight months. Okay.
1: And then you applied to go to an away college.
0: I did. I applied to take a nutrition program in Toronto. Was that better? It was better. It's so interesting because that year, I always say it <laughs> was like the highest achieving year of my life. I had like a perfect GPA. Wow! I worked out like two hours a day. I lived on campus. That's that was why a really you had a perfect day. GPA. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah. At the time, I did not make the connection. I was also eating a really healthy diet. Mm-hmm. I think that helped. Again, didn't make the connection at the time. But yeah, so I did really well there. However, when I looked at my profs who were generally like dietitians. in my heart, I knew I didn't want that as a career. So I decided to switch again. But this time I looked at what were the courses I really enjoyed? What did I really love doing? Can I find a program that has more of that? And so this is why I switched, uh, you know, to one more time to biopharmaceutical science it was a tough program, don't get me wrong, but I ended up loving it because it was in my area of interest. It was very specialized in genomics. And at that time, that was a really cutting edge space. So, yeah, I ended up loving that.
1: Well, and it makes perfect sense because you said that in school, like lower level school, it was math and science that you loved and was super easy. And it was all the other stuff you didn't like. Because, you mm-hmm. know, the first thing I think is, oh my God, I would have died. <laughs> you know, <laughs> math and science, like, no way. But for you, that was your area of interest. And that is exactly how you ended up becoming a tech executive, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Because it's easy for you. You enjoy it. Exactly. It's So the ironic thing is I always thought English is not my thing. I suck at writing. I'm a math girl. I like numbers. I don't like letters. And I just created this limiting belief for myself Mm -hmm. for some reason. I have no idea why. And now... I write and share content every single day. I have a newsletter. One day I'm planning to write a book and I've discovered, I actually, I love writing. I've discovered this love of writing where I had always assumed that was just, you know, quote, quote, not my thing. Mm -hmm,
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say that I always thought writing was my thing. Once I wrote a book, I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, because there's so much and we want to tell everything. And it's so close that you don't even know, okay, what's too much? You know, What do they not need to know? And so my favorite thing is I've discovered ChatGPT because I can get all those thoughts onto ChatGPT and say, here, organize it. Mm. And then once it learns your voice, it's literally, it takes me 120 at the time to certainly get started and To complete the, you know, the whole process. But I find that interesting that why did you think that you didn't like writing and, well, maybe you didn't like English. So what I always remember is I have no idea how to diagram a sentence. No (laughs) idea. All of that participle, Jaron dangling, whatever, Chad, no, that was something else. (laughs) I had no idea what they were talking about, but somehow I felt it And I knew what was the right way. So that's how I did it. Not because I understood grammar. And so I'm curious if maybe that's what you got stuck in as well. And then you think, I can't
0: write. And having to read books that I wasn't interested in. Ah, yes. Yes. So if I'm reading a book I'm interested in, I'm like, you know, turning the pages. And if it's something, you know, we all, we all sometimes read something that's like a tough read and you're like, oh, maybe I'll do five pages tonight. And I found... A number of the books I read in high school to be those types of books, so I think that was a big part of it as well. Where, yeah, yeah, was, it just had, wasn't. If
1: they had had you read books on science and math, you probably
0: would have loved it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, or maybe like powerful women or something, oh, right? Yeah, like totally. maybe something that was like more aligned. Yeah, yeah. You know, I
1: remember. So I did the whole first year you know, science and math, because I was going to be a dentist like my dad and almost died (laughs) and and certainly almost flunked out. And then over the summer, I had to take more classes because, you know, those classes, first of all, they tanked my GPA and I had decided, okay, I was going to now do political science and German. And so I needed to make up those credits. And my favorite class that I've ever took in college, I don't even remember the other classes I took other than the pain, was a women's studies class. I didn't even know Mm. what women's studies was, but that class literally changed my life because suddenly all of this stuff that I had been wondering about made sense, right? So I think that because we have this justice sensitivity, a lot of us are interested in women's issues. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? I know the shame has really dissipated. Anything else?
0: Yeah, a few things. The first was, you know, you mentioned the the shame, but then also just like accepting myself mm-hmm. for exactly who I am, just my full authentic self. That was a big one. The second one was really understanding how to manage my ADHD in a more intentional way. Mm-hmm. So I had kind of come up with a routine that was working for me but I wasn't intentional about it because I didn't know I had ADHD. So with knowledge comes power, right? So I was able to be really intentional about creating this. And the last one was asking for that help. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the key ways I manage my ADHD is through my morning routine. And so I, I used to feel really guilty saying to my partner, like, hey, do you mind if I get up and work out and do all this stuff, and you can just hang out with our toddler. <laughs> but after my diagnosis, I actually felt a lot more comfortable saying, I-, I actually really need this morning routine for me. Yeah. Can you support me in this? And he was like, yeah, for sure. Right? Whereas before, I felt I felt too guilty, of, you know, mom guilt, right? I was like, I got to hang out with, with the little guy. I don't want to just put that on my partner. Whereas now, I'm like unapologetic about what I need to show up as the person I want to be. So that was a, a big change. If you think about that, though, as a woman... How many men ever have that thought?
1: Right? It's just expected that, oh, because we birthed the child, now we must be better at all of those basically executive function tasks required, you know, by a, wait, required of a child, required, required of a parent, you know, it's just automatically just thrown on women's heads and men, I don't think they even think about it. But when we ask, yeah you know, in the right relationship they will get, right? That, okay, that's going to make her so much better at everything she does. And it's also going to make her a better
0: partner. So I might as well, you know, help out. Totally. Totally. Well, I noticed that like when my partner wanted to go work out, he'd just be like, I'm going to go work out Mm -hmm. and would just go do it. Whereas for me, it was like, oh, do you mind? Do you think he's going to be okay? Like, it was just,
1: Mm -hmm. I carried
0: all this extra stuff with it whereas he was just like I'm gonna do this thing I want to do this thing and there was no thought other than that so I yeah. was like I need to embrace some of that yeah and like the other piece around that was I mentioned like teacher gifts PD day like I, I wouldn't realize it was a PD day it would be a PD day like tomorrow what's PD oh um like like a day off school we call it professional development day so like the kids don't have school <laughs> for because a kid or for what? Literally, that's what it's called? I thought this was a career thing. This must be a Canadian term. I'm not sure what you guys call it. But essentially, like, you know, a few times a year, your child doesn't have school, like on a Friday, Mm. so that the teachers can do their own development stuff. Yeah. You call them PD days. Yeah, we call Uh, it, oh, crap days. (laughs) You're screwing with my system. Well, and I would never have these organized in my calendar. And so they would always creep up on me. And then I'd be like, oh, no, like, do I have childcare? Do I have meetings? And so again, with my partner, I just said, you know, I really think I need some help just organizing this stuff because I'm I'm clearly like, <laughs> it's been years and years. Like my oldest child is 13. Like it's not going to happen organically. I think I need someone to sit down with me and put the whole year's worth of stuff in a calendar yeah. and said, tell you what, I'll do you one better. Just forward me all the emails. I'm going to create all the calendar invites for you. So oh. I'll just create, you know kids are off this day start buying teacher gifts this day (laughs) oh my gosh you've got a good partner Ugh, like the best and but if i never asked for it he would never have thought to do it right so it's right to me to ask for what i need and then he can rise to the occasion oh my gosh yes
1: absolutely hey there i've got some fantastic news to share Jill Daniel has selected our book, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, for an exclusive virtual book club and workshop event. I'm really excited to be asked to lead you through this unique adventure because this is a special opportunity for us to connect, for you to learn all about your ADHD brain and how it works and start to really fall in love with it. Look, if you wanna read ADHD for Smart Ass Women but you struggled to finish a book, so you want some positive accountability, or you see the value in being part of an amazing community of other women just like you, I can't think of a better opportunity. Many of you have been asking me to do an evening event because everything I do is always during the workday. Hello, ADHD brain. Well, guess what? I listened to you and I'm doing it, and it is this live book event. Now, it's a three session event that begins on Wednesday, February 21st, And it's going to be led, as I said, by Jill Daniels and her team. I'll be there to introduce the book, and then I'll be there for a full discussion and comprehensive Q&A, where I will, of course, answer all your questions. This book club, it's about creating a space where we spark that positive emotion, fuel our dopamine, and use this knowledge to transform our lives. It's more than just a discussion. It's a chance to discover and embrace your strengths, get inspired by others that are just like you, and make meaningful changes in your life. It's about being part of a community that truly understands and supports you. Let's embrace our ADHD brains and unlock our potential together. So if you're in for this exciting event, go to spyhappy.me forward slash book club. Spaces are limited, and this is an opportunity you won't want to miss. So I am curious. You have ADHD. I remember from an email you sent me, there were a lot of signs and symptoms of ADHD that you were exhibiting in the workplace. Can you talk a little bit about those? Because I want to know the trajectory. How do you go from what sounded like kind of a mess as an employee all the way up to executive management.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, it's, and this is part of the message I want to share with women with ADHD is you can get to those upper levels of, of leadership. ADHD does not have to hold you back from that. So
1: can I stop you? Yeah. Because I just realized I wrote a note here so I wouldn't forget. You mentioned you have a morning routine. I would love to know what is your morning routine? Because I know, you know, listeners' brains work like mine and they're thinking, what's her morning routine? I want to know
0: yeah yeah I'd love to share it because it's been life changing for me. so first thing I try to do is is get my eight hours of sleep or whatever i I track all my sleep and everything, right, so I try to get my hundred percent sleep do you have problems with sleep, and if you do, where is the problem yeah so my my circadian rhythm is a little bit later right mm-hmm. so and because of life, you have to get up early. Um, so I have tried to train myself to go to bed earlier. I take melatonin with magnesium before bed to help me fall asleep a little bit earlier. But yeah, I would say over, over the years I have struggled with sleep. Now that I'm much more intentional about my routine and tracking things, it's gotten much, much better. Cause you've so changed,
1: oh. you can change your circadian
0: rhythm in most instances. So what time do you go to bed? So now I'm like eyes closed between nine 30 and 10. How did you do that?
1: I'm in awe. You know what I do?
0: As soon as I put my so I, I, my middle child, I put him to bed. I say a quick goodnight to the oldest one. And then I just, inst- I just go to bed. I don't do anything else. Because as soon as I decide, yeah. if I open my laptop, oh. it's game over. Like I'm going to bed at midnight. Right. Because I get, brain of interest. I get so into my work. I love my work. But it's not going to help me to go to sleep at a reasonable time. So I'm a hard rules person. Whereas I just say, like, once bedtime starts, I'm not doing stuff on my phone. I'm not opening my laptop. I'm putting the kids to bed. And then it's like, how quickly can I be in bed, like, reading my book and journaling and the stuff that I do there? So that has been it. It's been the hard rule of I'm not allowed to watch TV or open my laptop.
1: (laughs) Which is brilliant because if you don't do it, you won't struggle with that transition of stopping. So yeah. you're in bed by what time and when is lights out? So
0: typically I'm in bed by, yeah, 9.30. Okay. And depending on that, I mean, there, I have even been known to be sleeping by then. <laughs> it's the odd day <laughs> if I'm really run down because I've really learned to embrace sleep. But typically it's like eyes closed by 10. Okay. And then I'm up around 6, 10 to 6. Okay. I wish I was a person who could get up at like four. I know these people. I just don't think I'm ever going to be one, but kudos. (laughs) So typically up around six or a little bit before if I can. And then the first thing I do is I work out. Mm -hmm. So I don't eat anything. I mean, I drink a glass of water and then I just put on my workout clothes. I leave them out so I don't, I'm not tempted to skip it because let's face it, every day I want to skip it, but I don't. So I work out in my house, usually occasionally I'll go to a class. Next thing is cold therapy, which has really helped me. So often I like to do a cold plunge. Right now I'm in Canada and it's actually gotten too cold for my cold plunge to work outside, believe it or not, ironically. What, what,
1: so do you have one of those cold plunge boxy things? Yeah, it's like
0: the chiller and it keeps it at the right temperature. But so what's going on now? It's freezing? It's too cold? Yeah. I went to use it one day and I was like, why does it, it's not working. It's, it, it's flickering. And it just says like one C, but then I realized my partner came and looked at it. He's like, Katie, it says ice. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. So I don't want to, it was expensive. So I don't want to destroy it. So I right. put that away, but I do a cold shower. So I do a quick rinse for my workout. And then I do a two minute freezing cold shower. It is terrible. I hate it every day, but it really helps me focus. Okay. Back up and, one second. Okay. This cold <laughs> plunge, is it like a wooden kind of a, looks like a Japanese hot tub? Mm, so mine, there's a few different types you can get. Mine is is um, inflatable. So it's an inflatable one, but it's hard, like it's sturdy and uh, yeah. And it's hooked up to to a filtration system with a chiller. So I think you can actually warm it up too, but I keep it at around... Fifty degrees, forty-eight degrees, and then I hop in it for a couple minutes every morning. And this is okay. So, and how much does something like this cost? So this one was around seven thousand five hundred Canadian. So it'd be cheaper for you. Okay, about five k. Still a lot of money.
1: So still a lot. So why? What made you decide to invest in this? What does this do for you? And how effective is this versus a friggin? No cost, cold shower. Cold
0: shower. Yeah, I know. Um, I was always a person who would say, like, I do not get in cold water. Like, I wouldn't even swim in people's pool unless it was like ninety degrees. I so I don't know what happened to me. But I'd been to some like Nordic spas, and I was starting to hear about the benefits mm-hmm. of cold therapy. Mm-hmm. And last year, actually, I decided to. I'm like, I'm going to give this a real try, and. The first time I did it, it's just, you know what? It jacks up your dopamine. So that's why it feels so good for for us. Can I ask you though,
1: did you decide to do this for mood issues, which is what they typically recommend it for, you know, like anxiety Mm. or depression or dysthymia, which they don't really diagnose anymore, just that low-grade mood? Or was it for something else?
0: It was just for the challenge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just to see if I could do it. And so- did you go somewhere before you spent
1: $5,000 on this? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So,
0: so you, I was like at a spa when I did this the first number of times. And you felt so
1: good after that you said, okay, this is worth investing
0: five grand in and I'm going to do this every morning. Yes. So it was, it was a progression for me. So the first time I did it, like I said, I just was like, Psh, my mood just wow. jacked up. Okay. And, and I was like, wow, <laughs> like when was the last time I felt like this? So I, I was kind of hooked. I'm like, when else can I do this? And so whenever I had an opportunity, I would cold plunge. If I was somewhere where there was a cold plunge, I would cold plunge. And I remember going, I went to a mastermind last year. I was making all the women cold plunge with me. And they were like, <laughs> no. we don't really want to do this, Katie. Um, but at the time, I didn't know I had ADHD. So I don't know if it impacted them as much as me. But for me, I just found it, it made such a difference on my mood and my focus and everything. Wow. And so we ended up initially just getting a little inflatable cold punch that you would like put ice in. So it was a lot right. cheaper. It was like maybe a couple hundred bucks. That's what my son and, keeps
1: asking for, you know, after working out, you know, like athletes. I'm like, no. <laughs> yes.
0: So the challenge is you need to put so much ice in it I to make. Can't it cold even in imagine. It. Yeah. I know. So like every day, I'm like trying to put all this ice in, and and so that was just becoming impractical. Especially in the summers here, it gets really hot. But, by that point, I was doing it every single day. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm gonna invest in this. I'm actually gonna invest in getting this. I think I', I like had a good quarter, and I'm like, you know, this is I'm gonna do this thing. <laughs> so I decided to do it. And uh, yeah, and i I love it. i'm I was so sad we had to put it away, like I said, for the winter because it's just gotten cold enough here that we could probably take it back out in April. But it's been like game changing for me
1: so, so tell us, you've got your five thousand dollars cold plunge contraption, and now you're doing two minute cold showers. Is there a big difference?
0: Yeah. I find the cold plunge, believe it or not, easier because you just put your, you just submerge, you know, to the neck and then you're in there. Whereas the cold shower, you have to constantly be like, move, like letting it just, (laughs) ugh. the cold shower is terrible. (laughs) So with the cold plunge, how long are you in there? Two minutes, sometimes a little bit more. I try to do at least, you know, eleven minutes a week because the literature says eleven minutes a week for health benefits. So, oh, okay. I do it every weekday, generally, and then I would sometimes do it on the weekend, depending. But do you have a timer? Every weekday, yeah, I time it for <laughs> okay. sure. If I didn't time it, I'd be there for ten seconds. <laughs> that was two minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my god. Two gosh. minutes feels really long when you're standing under yes. freezing cold water.
1: <laughs> yes. So do you take a warm shower first and then you end up, you know, you wash your hair and you do all that and then it's the two minutes. You know what? That would ruin my shower because what I look forward to is, you know, all the dopamine from, you know, the warm water and it feels good in your thoughts and like you get wow. happy, right? You know what it has done?
0: Well, cut down my shower time. <laughs> I bet. You're not, you're not dilly-dallying in there when it's like freezing cold. But yes, I agree. The other thing it's done is when I do, so on the weekends or when I wash, I wash my hair at night usually because I just have a lot of hair. Uh-huh. When I do that shower, I just let it be hot. And then I really enjoy that shower uh-huh. because I'm like, I just get to wash my hair and I don't have to turn it cold. So it's one of those things that's like, Sometimes the contrast makes you appreciate something even more. Yeah,
1: well, and that makes sense, especially if you're taking two showers a day. Oh my gosh!
0: Well, not a day. I only wash my hair a couple times a week. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Is this okay? So I see
1: what you're saying. If you're going to wash your hair, that's that's a free freebie. But
0: if you're just trying to get rid of the sweat from the workout and get ready, then it's the cold. Yeah. Then it's like I have set my timer for four minutes. Two minutes it's warm to just like wash off the sweat, right. and then two minutes of cold to wake me up.
1: <laughs> okay. I guess I'm gonna have to try that. That's interesting. <laughs> I'm gonna
0: try it. And then after that I meditate. So that's a third. <laughs> okay. So it's exercise, cold therapy, meditate. Wow. In that in that order. And um yeah, and the, and those three things, and actually the cold therapy helps me meditate because I've always struggled to meditate yeah. because of my busy brain. Yeah. However, if you meditate after cold therapy, it actually helps you to focus better. Wow. So you are just on this dopamine rush by the time you walk out the door. Exactly. So by the time, like I start my day, my cup is full. I am like ready. Mm.
1: Okay. So tell us about, you know, navigating undiagnosed ADHD as a corporate executive and all of these things you struggled with and how did you make it there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so some of the things I struggled with, I I struggled with attention to detail. I struggled with being late. One of the elements that worked for me was that I ended up going into sales. So early in my career, I was in sales, which requires less timeliness in a lot of ways, right? Like I'm calling a customer to follow up, but if I call them at nine or nine, 10, it actually doesn't really matter. So I think that the career I chose really helped. I really struggled to like write documents. That was always like the bane of my existence. And as I moved into leadership, I had to do that. So that was, I would say when I was in kind of like the manager director period was when I struggled the most because I was out of sales. I was in leadership, but I was not quite senior enough where I had people to do this stuff for me. Yeah. Because
1: in sales they don't
0: care what you do if you're making numbers right yeah if you're if you're making your number, one of my old bosses used to say if you're making your number, you can be sitting in bed you know watching c n n all day for all I care right right <laughs> exactly, <laughs> which is true which is true so and i i i I was good at sales, so I always made my numbers, so it didn't really matter in that middle management period, I did really struggle because there was more in terms of like documentation you had to do and just more of that executive functioning mattered, more meetings. Um, oh, gosh, meetings. Uh, so I, I really struggled with that. And I would say the, the way that I got through it was systems, was like hacks that I came up with, right? So, you know, if there's a certain meeting, let's say there's a customer meeting or there's something I have to be at, I would like schedule it in my calendar for half an hour earlier, And then I'm now I'm 15 minutes early instead of 15 minutes late, right? So I would play these tricks on myself. And you would forget, right? (laughs) Like, which is the right time? I better follow the calendar. Totally, right? Because I don't, for me, I can't trust my brain. I only trust what is written down. (laughs) So it worked to my advantage. And so I kind of just had to like grind it out for those few years. I have to say like, you know, um, once I got to the VP level, I actually found it a lot easier because I had more resources. You know, the biggest thing I learned to do, I would say, and this is for people with ADHD or even without, but I think especially for us with ADHD was really discover like, what is my superpower? How can I spend more time in that space? Like more time leaning into my superpower and what are my workarounds for my weak areas? So can I outsource it? Can I use a tool? Can I hire a person? Like, what are all the other things I can do as opposed to trying to get good at that thing? Because I think for too many years, I was like, maybe I can get good at this. And I was like banging my head against the wall. I was probably getting like 1% better, <laughs> but it was not moving the needle, well, right? that's it what was we're just- constantly
1: told, right? How do you shore up your weaknesses? And do we know anybody that's been super successful
0: working in their no. weaknesses, like working in what they suck at? No. <laughs> I tell my clients the opposite. I'm like, don't focus on your weaknesses because mm-hmm. it's really hard to improve those things. And chances are, if it's a weakness, you also don't enjoy it. Yeah. right. And, and it's really difficult to spend time focusing on things you don't enjoy, right? You're much more likely to master something if you're passionate about it, if you enjoy it, even than if you have like natural God-given talent.
1: Yeah. That makes complete sense. So how many years were you in middle management where you had, and it was probably important too, in middle management to figure out what do your structures and systems need to look like, right?
0: Yes. Because then you could
1: help other people that you're bringing up through the ranks.
0: Yeah. I was, so I was a manager just for maybe a couple of years and then I was a director for five years. So all in, probably around seven years in that position, maybe a little bit longer. And yeah, exactly. I mean, because of what I was doing, I had to learn to create a lot more like process and structure. And it was, it just wasn't natural for my brain. I did learn to, there's aspects of it. I actually learned to love. There was aspects of it because what I realized was when you create the right process, things just run a lot more smoothly. So I actually don't mind identifying where we need process and coming up with the idea. It's the like pen to paper part yeah. that I really struggle with. And so this was kind of eye-opening for me because again, I thought my my strength is people. My strength is sales and people leadership. Yeah, This stuff is not. And some of it wasn't actually a weakness. I just, it was more around maybe limiting beliefs because I'd always considered myself disorganized. I'd always considered myself you know not to be good at these things.
1: So did you ever have an
0: awful boss? <laughs> I have. I have absolutely. So I've had one awful boss who was just not um, I, I felt like this person didn't even like me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was very, it was really bad. Um, and then I've I've had other bosses who were not awful, but perhaps couldn't see my potential or or couldn't mentor me in the way I needed. Right. So there was there was that as well. And for this individual that I'm thinking of, I don't think there was malintent at all. Right. It was just one of those things where this person couldn't necessarily see the potential in me. So I've I've kind of had the gamut. I've had some really great bosses as well. So I've I've had, I think, the whole mix. So with the awful boss, have you had the opportunity since then to actually be in the same space as them? Never. Ah, uh, that's probably never good. Seen although I know it's so interesting. I've um the awful boss. I never saw again. I never saw this person again. Probably and I always... they were an awful boss to everyone. <laughs> Maybe. And I want. I was kind of curious. One day, I'm like, what happened to this person? <laughs> but then I didn't want to creep their LinkedIn. I didn't I want them know. to see me <laughs> creeping their profile. So I just thought, you know what, Katie, put it to bed. Let it go. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Wish them well. <laughs> you know, yeah. what happened to them, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I do sometimes think, I think back even to some of my high school teachers who who liked me, but I often wonder how much success they expected me yeah. to have. Yeah, And I kind of think they probably didn't expect me to have a ton. And so I think like if they were to see me now, I wonder what they would, th- I would love to have a conversation with some of my high school teachers and just say like, Hey, what do you think? <laughs> I bet you they all thought,
1: even though you think they didn't, that she has a lot of potential, but Mm. she's just not trying hard enough. She just doesn't care. Right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So we hear all the time about how most entrepreneurs are somewhere on the ADHD spectrum. And I'm curious what you think the role ADHD plays in corporate leadership.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it can play a great role. I mean, Oftentimes, as a corporate leader, you're expected to come up with new great ideas, Mm. right? Think about things in a slightly different way. And I really believe if we harness our ADHD so that we're able to to manage the challenges, we can be amazing corporate leaders. We're we're willing to take a little more risk oftentimes. And in business, to be successful, you often have to take risk, right? So. I actually think there's, there's a great place for like a visionary leader who has ADHD. That's a woman. That's a woman. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And off, you know, I know for me, a big part of what I had to get over was some limiting beliefs around, do I belong here? Like if I can't even, if I can't even remember to pay for parking, can I actually be a VP? Like there was a little (laughs) bit of that. If I can't even remember teacher gifts. You just need a driver. (laughs) I think that's my take home from this podcast. I just need a driver. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Um, It sounds like it's just like school, right? You just need to get up high enough to have mm -hmm. those systems and structures that you need for the things that you dislike doing, you have no interest in, so you don't do them well and you forget, right? It really sounds just like that. But it's, okay, so with school, it's much more interest versus in leadership, it's much more getting up to the level where you can have people helping you, right? Do the things that are just not your gifts so that you can really shine at the things that are.
0: Absolutely. And, and even like in different leadership roles, depending on the industry the stage of company, like all of these things, some are going to be better suited to you. So for me, I found being in a hyper growth company Mm. was well suited to my skill set because we were not bogged down with a lot of red tape. It was like, let's grow really, really fast. And my brain liked that. It was interesting all the time. It was changing. It was exciting. And so where other people might be overwhelmed in that type of environment, I thrived in it. I really enjoyed it. Whereas in other environments that were a little heavier on risk aversion and compliance, legal considerations, I really struggle in those environments because my brain doesn't like to read documents right? yeah. so, or write documents. So that, that type of role. So even in leadership, there can be roles that that might suit better. And so for anyone who's thinking about that, it's like self-awareness is that first yeah. step into finding what is right for you. Yeah. Because like I said, even in leadership, you know, when I was in my last leadership role, I realized a lot of the things I had to be thinking about and doing weren't things that energized me. So even though I had this great title, I wasn't actually spending a lot of time on the things that lit me up which makes day to day really challenging. So I think for a lot of people, just gaining that self-awareness into what lights me up, what do I love, what's my zone of genius, and then finding the right thing for you from there.
1: You know, that makes so much sense. I think about that all the time, exactly what you said. I would love to be part of a company if there's a lot of growth and, you know, it's like, what are the possibilities? Like the sky's the limit versus being in a company that's starting to struggle and, you know, that is contracting instead of expanding would be so difficult. And I used to talk about, it's also the positive emotion versus the negative emotion. You know, I was a lawyer and it wasn't that I hated the law. It was the kind of law that I was practicing. It was all about tearing down instead of building up. And I don't know, over time, it just gets really heavy and Literally, every I was with the um, Enforcement Division of the Securities and Exchange Commission, and every single time one of these defendants would walk in, I would think, oh my gosh, there by the grace of God go I. Like, I just could understand how you'd get yourself into a situation like they got themselves into. So I was siding with them instead of, you know, my side. (laughs) Well, yeah,
0: it's, you know, and I think so often— we, we go into our careers. We go through life, not really thinking intentionally Mm -hmm. about where we're going to end up. (laughs) Right. Like I had this goal, like, I want to be a VP. I want to be a VP. I wasn't even really thinking about what type of company, (laughs) what am I going to be doing (laughs) title? Am I going to be aligned with this? I was just like, so focused on getting that title (laughs) that I didn't stop to think about, like, why do I want this? What's, you know, what's really important to me. Totally. So, so you founded
1: Insights to Action. What exactly do they do, and why is that a much better fit for you than being a corporate executive? And I'm assuming it is because of that entrepreneurial bent we have. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's funny. I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I just thought like that seems like what other people do and not me. And I will never go back. I love it so much. So. At Insights to Action, our mission is to help more women get to the exec suite and thrive as senior leaders, right? So it's very aligned from a mission perspective. I'm very passionate about closing the gender gap we see in senior leadership. Yes. And it is right now, like we're losing female leaders, we're losing women from yes. the pipeline. And so I just think there's never been a better time to help more women get there. And I got to learn from my whole journey, like my whole struggle Going from manager to director to VP has put me in a really great place to help other women to make that transition. It's a tough transition for a lot of people. So that's what we do. There's, you know, it's through like group programs and one-on-one digital courses, all the stuff, Uh, but it's all around that same mission, all around like demystifying what it means to become an exec, breaking it down and making it like a tangible, learnable thing.
1: So why are we still losing so many women? I mean, why isn't this
0: growing? Like, what the hell, country? Uh, (laughs) I know, I know. So part of the challenge was the pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? Because so many women are the default parent and had to make a decision, like, who's going to homeschool my kids? Who's going to take up this additional responsibility? And too often, it's the woman's the default. So that's a big one. I think also we, as in like society, does a terrible job at supporting women in those childbearing years. So, you know, pregnancy, maternity leave, and even afterwards. And too many women feel like they have to make a choice. Yep. Like, am I going to be there for my family or am I going to focus on my career? I'm a believer you can do both. Yep. With some intention and some boundaries. But a lot of us receive messages that you can't. So I think that is a big part of it. And I mean, there's just also, there's biases, there's things we have to overcome. So this, there has to be some fixing of the system. And But where I come in is I say, okay, system needs to get fixed. I acknowledge that, right? However, this is where we are today. So how can we navigate what we're facing today and, and still see some success, so, yeah, I think there's a lot. I think it's a multi-complex like, problem. we can't fix
1: the system if we're not there in positions of power to fix the damn system, right? I mean, it's exactly. going to be status quo
0: otherwise. Yeah. I think one of the biggest ways we're going to make change is by getting more women yes. to senior leadership, however we do it, because then they will be in those seats and can say, hey, guys, this mat leave policy is ridiculous or- hey, have you noticed that we're asking women to do whatever? Whereas I think like, I I tend to, I love to assume, you know, ignorance over malice. I think oftentimes the people in the positions of power just don't realize because maybe they have a stay-at-home wife, right? Who's like stay-at-home mom that they're married to is taking care of everything at home and they never have to even think about these things. Have you read
1: Invisible Women? I have not. Oh my gosh, you have to read it. It's a British author. Is it on my shelf here? Um, I'm going to write this down. Yes, there it is. Caroline Criado Perez. It is one of the best books that I have ever read. It's won all kinds of awards. And it just made me think of what you were just talking about. So, and this was in the UK somewhere. All of the politicians who were responsible for, or, you know, the people high up in government that were responsible for the route that the buses would take or the trains would take, and what would cost what. So the direct route going from the suburbs to the city, like on the train, it was one price. And it was much cheaper than if you had to, you know, get on, let's say, the bus and you had to make all kinds of stops. And so what they discovered is women were so discriminated against because the whole system was set up for men to go from their home to their job versus women would have to make a bunch of stops, right, to go drop off their kids, to go get groceries, to, you know, and it's that kind of stuff that they talk about that is just insane because the default is always, well, we know in science, right, it's always the male body, The default in, you know, transportation is always the man, right? And what their schedule might be. And so they discovered that women were spending so much more money and they were so inconvenienced because also the way the route was made, it didn't really serve women. So I was just thinking about what you said. And I just, I love this book. It just
0: makes you angry. Yeah. Well, I say this all the time where a lot of, you know, even in leadership, a lot of the the system is set up for men who are not primary caregivers or who are not having children. And so this is what needs to change, right? And and until we have more women in those positions, it's really hard to make that change. That's exactly what you said.
1: Like they don't even realize, right? Because they're not there. They're not doing it. Like anything.
0: Like anything, right? Like you know they don't really. I remember reading um, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In years ago, and her talking about when she worked at Google and they didn't have any parking yes. for pregnant women. Yeah, right. And she was luckily in the position where she could say, "Guys, we don't have any parking for for expectant mothers." Whereas a lot of women who, are, you know, if you're further down the totem pole, you may not have that voice. So again, it's just it's all part of. I think that the need to get more women in these positions so we can just equal the playing field
1: everywhere, everywhere, politics, yeah, mm-hmm. corporations everywhere. everywhere. So I'm curious, what do your parents think now?
0: So my parents, it's funny because I was um, I was at a cottage with our cottage like last year, and they were like, "Do you have like a website? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm legit. I've got a website. (laughs) So so they now follow me on Instagram. So they see that like, they're like, oh, I liked your reel or hey, I didn't know about that. It's funny because my parents are, you know, they just were never that aware of even like what I did. Like they kind of knew I worked in corporate and they would tend to be stressed out when I would switch companies, but didn't have a, a really, you know, clear idea of what I did. So I think they just thought I was just like, doing a little coaching, like the odd client here and there. They didn't realize I was like building a whole business. So, um, you know, I think what has struck them was to see me as like a successful adult. They just always saw me as probably 15 year old Katie. They still saw me as that. right? And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what came out when I was asking them. I'm like, what exactly, <laughs> what do you think I'm doing here? Um, it was kind of funny, but yeah, yeah. I think they're happy with what I'm doing, absolutely. But hadn't even realized that, yeah, I'm building, I'm legit, I'm building a real business. I'm on podcasts, mom, like check it out. <laughs> so. so when
1: you made the decision to start your own company, was there any pushback from them? Like, oh my gosh, you're leaving, you know, executive management?
0: Not really, because I think I was burnt out when I decided to leave. Mm. And I think my mom was happy to see me take a bit of a step back. My mom never really understood my ambition, truthfully, because we are not alike in that way. So I was always like traveling for work and working to the next thing. And she was always like, Katie, why don't you just like chill out and like spend more time with the kids. Like she didn't quite understand it. So I think that once I said, hey, I'm going to take this step back and she wanted to make sure we were okay financially. She was worried about that. But in terms of the decision, she was very supportive, very supportive. I
1: love that. Okay, so final question. What do you, well, which one do I want to ask you? How about you give us your number one ADHD workaround?
0: Oh, I mean, my routine. The morning routine. The number one way I manage my ADHD is my routine. And I mean, yeah, it's like nutrition, sleep, and then my exercise, cold therapy, meditation. I do a lot of things to manage it. Truthfully, I am I am not on medication, so I do like everything else. And it's worked amazingly for me. I'll say most days, my ADHD is very well managed. There's the odd day, you know, Certain times in my cycle where I'm a disaster. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, <laughs> but most days it's 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 very well managed through like essentially diet, exercise, cold therapy, and meditation. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, tell us
1: where people can find you if they want to know more about you and what you do. You know, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? All of that stuff.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I post on social media every single day. So I post free content and tips and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm on Instagram and I'm also on LinkedIn. I post a little bit longer format stuff on LinkedIn. So if you're into that, I also have a free newsletter people can sign up for, so they should check that out. And then I send that out bi-weekly and I do a deep dive on something that's going to help you level up and, and get better. And then, you know, I I run a group program. I do a bunch of stuff. But if you follow me on social and you sign up for the newsletter, that's your best bet because then you can get to know what I'm all about. You know, you can get some sort of free advice and then decide if you want to learn more. So where do they find all that? So I think we're going to share the links probably, but I'm Katie McPhee on LinkedIn. I'm Katie.McPhee on Instagram. And then my website is just InsightsToActionCC.com. Great. So insights to If you click on the newsletter part, you can sign up there. You can also, you know, find some free resources on my website as well. Wonderful. So this will all be in the show notes, but again,
1: LinkedIn, Katie McPhee, Instagram at And the website is insights to actioncc.com.:
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank
1: you so much, Katie. It was so fun talking to you. I had such a good time. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Katie, please let us know by leaving a review. You know what our goal is. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you here next week. And don't forget, go order my book at adhdforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. Bye bye. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. Join us at adhdforsmartwomen.com, where you can find more information on my new book, ADHD for Ass Women, and my patented Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system to help you get unstuck and fall in love with your brilliant brain.